So last week we spent a lot of time talking about the parable of the sower. And I want to, uh, we're spending a lot of time in, in Mark chapter 4, so um, if you will, you can go ahead and turn there because eventually we're going to get to Luke 14. Because what I really want to talk about today is overcoming a an issue that we have, that we could possibly have within the church called spiritual dropsy. And we'll we'll describe that in just a, a moment. But I want you to see in Mark chapter 4, um, starting in verse 32, it's kind of the end of the chapter, and this is what Jesus says. He said, what shall we say that the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that you plant in the ground. Yet when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. And this is the point that I, I want you to, to hear right at the beginning. That is what Jesus is saying, this development, this growth, this sowing seed, the, the, the results um, that we will um, encounter later on, they, they, don't take, they don't take great massive effort. It's, it's not what we're looking for. Matter of fact, I think the point is this, small, persistent, continuous Action uh, is all that's needed, but it will require a gigantic mind shift, a change in the way that we think about how we function and, and how life functions. So over to Luke chapter 14. I want you to watch this story. Luke chapter 14, I believe. There we go. Luke 14. Mark, I'm stealing from Luke this morning. Mark's been going through the, uh, the Gospel of Luke in Bible class. But at your pace, you're not going to get there until about 2026. Is that about right? So <clears throat> we're good right now. He's been at it about a month and a half. And we're in chapter 1. So they will have forgotten about this when you get here. Okay, we'll be good. Here, here's the story. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. So Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, or what is referred to there as the lawyers, he said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they won't answer. They remain silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. So he heals the condition and moves him on. Then Jesus continues and he asks them, If one of you has a, a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull him out? And they said nothing. And they remain silent. They will not answer his question. 
Because here's the problem for them. Again, it is the Sabbath. No work is to be done on the Sabbath. And if you heal, then it was considered work. Yet they were very clear on the idea that if your ox does fall in a ditch, it's okay to get him out. You can pull the animal out of the ditch so that the animal is not hurt or dies. And so you lose income potential. You just can't heal another human being. So it's okay to rescue an animal, but not a human being. And so Jesus is taking them to task on this. And so they're watching him closely and he heals. Now, let's finish the story. When, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told him this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, then, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, hmm, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take uh, the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone that exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus looked to the host and said, When you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. For if you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, let's set it up this way. So you have this meal together where they're breaking bread at the house of a Pharisee and they're watching Jesus. Again, from the time that Jesus begins his ministry, his, his teaching, his demeanor, the way that he handles people the way that he loves other people, causes some uncomfortableness with people who we would consider to be religious. He just doesn't quite function like they would have anticipated that he would. And so it's on the Sabbath. They know it. They're watching him. And there's this particular person that has uh, what is referred to as dropsy. Now, before we get to dropsy, here's some things that you need to know about um, the Pharisees. They have this split that they wrestle with uh, when it comes to Sabbath. And it is that they were very meticulous about how they believed and practiced their belief according to their law that they understood it on Sabbath. I mean, they went to the very detail of what you can do and what you can't do. But yet, at the same time, there some of their Sabbath festivals would kind of get out of hand. They, would, they, they, they could put on a party. They could celebrate. 
And sometimes it kind of got out of hand to the point where there were some Jewish rabbis that said, well, wait a minute now, I think we've gone a little too far here in our party, and that kind of, we're kind of getting out of hand, and so we, need, we might ought to just kind of reel that back in. So they had this challenge in their own mind about, okay, we're going to be meticulous about what we believe and how we practice certain religious beliefs, but yet in our own way of carrying them out, we kind of got lax. So they had this split they weren't very um, consistent with. Now, they knew exactly what they believed, what you can do, what you can't do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and don't try to, and don't, don't try to do anything different. So even though, I mean, let's just say what it is, even though some of their uh, celebrations, they might just, some of them might walk away drunk, we better do it right as we get drunk. That makes sense? Got to believe it right and do it right. Because for them, a lot of it was about the knowledge. Got to have, we, we got to have the right knowledge. The other is this. They lived in what we would refer to as a culture of honor and shame. And you never wanted to do anything that might shame your family. If you've, um, if you know anybody that's a missionary that has traveled to different parts of the world, there are still cultures today who function according to this honor and shame. And you do nothing to bring shame upon your family. Now, none of us would say, well, yeah, that's we just want to bring shame on our family. Of course not. But in American culture, it's not as intense as some of the others. And they live with this. Don't do anything to bring shame. All of it was to, to bring honor to family. So you were very, very careful in what you did and what you said and where you went and who you hung out with so that you didn't bring shame upon your family. So that was their culture, honor and shame. And that's why Jesus is taking the time to tell this parable. You, some of you walk into a... To a to a feast, and you just go right to the head of the table and say, this is for me because I feel as though I should be honored. I would not take a seat at the back because that is the, that is the area where the lower socioeconomic folks might sit, and that's a place of shame. So I'll take the front seat. I won't live on that side of the track because that's not the side of the track that people of honor would live on. We'll live over here. Well, see, we won't go to that church over there because, right? See, and so their whole life is about honor and shame. And they have this split. And Jesus is dealing with it. Having said all of that, then let's deal with this. This story is so beautifully woven here in chapter 14. And if we're not careful, we miss what I think is the spiritual lesson that all of us have to wrestle with. You say, what is dropsy? That's the term that's used in in this text. Dropsy is the swelling of the limbs. You're retaining fluid. Your limbs get 
larger and larger. It's painful. Your legs, your arms, right? You can't, um, you can't get rid of the fluid. And so even though it's painful, here's the, here's the other side of it. You're always thirsty. You're always thirsty. You're always wanting more, but yet you cannot get rid of it. And so it's this ongoing problem of I need more, but I can't seem to get rid of it. And it's painful and it's hurting and I'm swelling and it's going it's not going to end well. But yet I need more. And so this particular person is right there in front of Jesus, which I do believe that the uh, that the Pharisees placed him there so that he it would confront Jesus on Sabbath. What are you going to do? Well, of course, Jesus just heals him. But there's a spiritual lesson that's going on right in front of the Pharisees and the lawyers. And it's right here in front of us. As we think about my life and following Jesus and my, my life as a disciple, and as we've been thinking about the kingdom of God and all and going through the gospel of Mark and what Jesus did and the challenges that we have to grow... We have this challenge. Am I inflicted with spiritual dropsy? Let me just talk about myself. Preacher's kid from the time I was born, as I've told you many times, sat on the second row every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I've heard all the Bible stories. I went to a Christian high school. I went to two Christian colleges. I went to a Christian graduate school. I've been in ministry for almost 25 years. All of my life has been about the Word, worship, praying to God, singing the hymns, being together each week. And I just keep getting more knowledge. I, I love to sit in my office and read, and I read the scholarly articles, and I get more and more and more knowledge. And the question is, what am I doing with that? What am I doing with it? How much more knowledge do I need? How much more practice being together with us do I need? And so my spiritual limbs, you see, are filling up and I'm swelling and I got and if I'm not careful, not only am I swelling up that I also then feel like that's an honor. I know more Greek than you do. I know the I know what the scholars think on particular subjects. I can read the Greek. And I keep absorbing all of this, all of this, and I keep getting more bloated and swelling. And I want more. You say, tell me about your life. I say, well, I worship at a church that does it right. Tell me about your life as a disciple. We do everything decently and in order. And we're in the Word. And we're continuing to read the Word. And we share the Word. And we study the Word. And we sing the Word. And we're Word, Word, Word. And the question is, what are we doing about it? You 
One of the challenges that we have to being seed sowers and doing something with it is we may be infected with spiritual dropsy. And that will keep us from growing and becoming and reaching other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. How many times have either we heard or we said? Now, I want you to think about this. How many times have we either heard somebody say, or how many times have we said, Oh, no, I can't do that. I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I've said it. Oh, no, I, I can't do that. I can't serve on that committee, or I can't do that, or I couldn't share with somebody because I don't know enough. I've got spiritual dropsy. What does it take to love somebody? What does it take, really? How much knowledge does it take to get outside of my comfort zone and, and care for and to love? Because I think we also struggle with honor and shame. I don't want to be shamed. I don't. Our, our family, we don't do that. We don't go there. We don't. We don't hang around those folks. We don't. We don't worship that way. We we're. Right? We'd rather be honored and sit at the proper place, and people look at us and say, "Wow, what a great spiritual giant you are." You say, yeah, but my leg, my knee's all swollen. I just can't figure out what's wrong. Spiritual dropsy. Now, I don't know where this lands this morning, okay? But I'm thinking about it in my own life as we are, as we've been walking our way through the Gospel of Mark. And we talk about all the things that Jesus did and the things that He taught and the challenges that we have to grow and to become into mature disciples. And I just got to thinking, man, how much more knowledge do I need? And the answer is, I don't need any more. I don't. I need to put it into practice. I need to do something about it. How difficult is it to say, you know what? I got to tell you, here's my story. I was a mess before Jesus. And because of Jesus, my sins are forgiven. My eternity is secure. And I just need you to know he loves you. If there's anything that, you know, we can do for you, we'd, we'd love to help you. That's what this church is about. And we'll get together in teams and we will be out in the community and we'll be loving on people and, 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 and feeding people and listening to people. I don't need any more knowledge. Jesus said, all right, here, here's all the knowledge we need. Are you ready? Wake your neighbor up. Here's what he said. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's it. No more knowledge. Close your Bible. That's it. That's all you need. So the cure for spiritual dropsy is, I start putting this into practice. I start getting rid of some of this spiritual fluid that's built up in me. 
And so what's happening then is I'm taking all of this that God has blessed me with and I'm sharing it with others. It's a win-win. I'm not bloated anymore and I'm blessing and loving others. So I stop with this. Here it is. This is our assignment this week. One thing. So this week I will. I'm asking you to fill in the blank. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to speak out loud. What can you do? What's one thing? What's one person? One activity? One thing that's been on your heart or on your mind that you know God has laid there? This week, I'm going to... This week, I'm going to start draining some of this spiritual dropsy. What can I do to love others? Right Now, so this goes back to Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Not great. Small. But it's these small, persistent, continuous actions that begin to change my life and change the life of others. So I want you to just take that just for a few seconds. I want you to think about it. This week I will. Because truthfully, we don't need any more knowledge. We need action. We need to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And think about, if all of us are taking little actions, what kind of effect would we have, impact we could have on the world around us? God, forgive us of spiritual dropsy and please cleanse us of that by how we take your love and your message to others. And by His grace and the courage that comes through Jesus, we will do it. Amen? Let's stand and sing. If we can pray for you this morning, you can come to the front right now.